Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Levy Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. I don't think we need Urban Myers here in Jacksonville. When he was with Florida, he quit. When he was with Ohio State, he quit. So what's make it, what's going to make him not quit when he's with Jacksonville when he doesn't get his way? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, what? I mean, I, I don't want to label anybody right now, but that guy had to be an SEC fan. That's all I'm going to say. Just going to put it like that. All due respect... <laughs> He was an SEC fan. You got to love when they come in with the Urban Myers. Yeah. What was that? And another person that called in the show, who was leaving a message? They're out in full force, man. You mentioned Urban Meyer, and he's, he's quite the draw. Hey, would you rather have a coach that is polarizing or boring? I don't think we need Urban Myers. That, I mean, that guy has swore at the television in front of his family before when when Florida didn't cover the spread. Simple as that. that and, and you know what? The, the, those are even odds right there. That, that's I guarantee that's happened. Sorry. What, what now, Brent? Would you rather have a coach that is boring Yeah. in terms of, like, the appeal of the hire? So what I'm getting at is maybe it's like Jim Caldwell. And, yeah. And look, yeah. With all due respect to Jim, he's probably the greatest guy in the world, but – Kind of a boring hire, right? Mm-hmm. Or would you ha- rather have the p- polarizing hire that, like, all right, well, people are going to say that about Urban Meyer. Some people aren't going to like the idea of Urban Meyer. I've talked to many people that don't like the idea of Urban Meyer. And then I've talked to quite a few people like, bring it on, baby. So yeah. what, do you, what do you, I mean, so you, does, you, does it matter to you, I guess, if you're shod, that uh, this guy's going to be a little salty with some? No, it, you know, it doesn't matter to me if I'm shod because at the end of the day like you have to win football games that's the most important thing and if you feel that Urban Meyer can do that then you go with that like your reputation right now and this is how sports work in terms of a franchise owner of the Jaguars is how many games you're going to win Okay, so yes, there's, there could be some bad optics of was Urban Meyer the right guy? You know, we saw what happened at Florida and Ohio, all that stuff. I get that. But if you're Shad Khan, you're worried about winning over everything else. I think if I'm a player in the locker room, that answer could be different. Because now usually the way it works is regardless of who the coach is, you know, there's there's the, how the media portrays the coach and there's the press conference and then, you know, there's the players. So it's always kind of a separate thing. But... If it gets to the point where it's like Hollywood status and like the first day back, um, you know, in training camp and we're all there asking questions, it's like, hey, Urban Meyer, talk about Urban Meyer. Like that can kind of wear thin um, from a player's perspective after a while, right? Like if, if, it, if it's if it keeps being the main storyline and not about the team, but it's just about the head coach and the hiring of the head coach, 
that can get played out. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like, I, I think initially, here's what's interesting. I think I read something today. It's like, well, if he has like a, uh, I think it was Gene Fournette. He talked to somebody, and I think it was a tweet where it said something like, if he has the start that, like, Matt Rule has had. And what's Rule got, like, four wins? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so he says that. It's like, well, that could be bad. And so what's interesting in that con- in that kind of dialogue is, oh, okay, I'm sorry, Brett. Uh, Matt Rule had five wins this year. Five wins? Okay. Yep. But that, same, same, same thing. About yeah, the same. Yeah. So, basically, I don't think there was much of an improvement from last year for Carolina. Is, sure, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, they had excuse McCaffrey was out most of the year. They changed quarterbacks. But they did bring in, listen, Teddy Bridgewater better than Cam Newton, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think from that viewpoint, it would be very, it's interesting. It's like polarizing. Okay, I wanted him. I don't like him. He's going to leave. I don't know what's going to happen with Urban. You know, but when the games start going and the season gets here, it's like how much do you have to win initially for Urban Meyer to deem it, okay, this is going in the right direction? Because this guy has won so much that if he was the guy, you almost think, okay, this guy's going to get eight, nine, ten wins. Like, it's Urban Meyer. He automatically wins. Like, it's automatic. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way the NFL works. The yeah. Jags are a one-win team. Like, if the Jags go to six wins next year, that doesn't feel great being six and ten, but that is a vast improvement, mm-hmm. especially with a rookie quarterback that you're going to have. So that's what's interesting to watch. Like, where is the threshold of satisfying, I guess, to a fan base if really any coach is hired, but especially a guy that will be viewed as polarizing? Some people are in, some people are out on Urban Meyer. Well, and it's an interesting standpoint, too, because with Urban Meyer, you know, he's a lot of things, but one of those things is the fact that he hasn't really lost, and if he has lost, obviously, you know, we, we've seen the results of that. Like, he, he can't take losing. And if you want to talk about distractions in a locker room and, and making about the coach, not to say Meyer would make it about himself if he was to lose games, but, like, we in the media, you know, I mean, I'm sure one of the very first questions if this team's sitting, you know, four and, you know, eight or four and nine or four and ten is, hey, you know, you, you haven't lost as many games. Like, what's going through your head right now? Like, I mean, that's, that is going to be a storyline if this team doesn't succeed with Urban Meyer right away. And while he may have seen that coming, prepare for that, I think the fact that, once again, that locker room is going to be in tune with that as well, that could be a different dynamic. All right, so I found something else, okay, as I research head coaches and you go through this, and something stuck out to me the other day. And Urban Meyer's interesting, right, because some people, I don't like that guy, he's a bad guy, he's this guy. Okay, fair enough. I don't know. I don't know Urban Meyer well enough to know if he's a good guy or not. No idea. I feel like Doug Marone leaves this job as People appreciate him, say he's a good guy, have a beer with him, no problem. He was good to the media. He was all that stuff that everybody says. I mean, but do we really know who Doug Marone is? I don't know. I mean, I don't think we were ever peeled the curtain back on Doug Marone, quite frankly. Uh, Gus Bradley, again, once again, a Gus Bradley we know, salt of the earth kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jack Del Rio, I think, I think there were some people that probably didn't love Jack, uh, but I think a lot of people do like Jack. I think Mike Malarkey, same thing. Nice guy, still lives in, in Jacksonville area. I don't think anybody's going to say he's a jerk. Maybe they will. I mean, maybe people have different experiences. But what I'm getting at here is I found this because I was thinking of, like, Jim Caldwell. And then people throw out the name, like, Tony Dungy. And it got me thinking. I'm like, go to the Indianapolis Colts for a minute. 
and the Colts have an owner that how do you think people would classify Ursay? I mean, Brent, what, what do you want me to say about the guy? All right, you remember when he tweeted that whole video where he's standing behind the bench with like 315 uh, on it, and he doesn't lift it. He's just like trying to hype people up. Like the guy's a strange cat. He's got a history. Probably not the best guy to work for. I'll be honest with you. Okay, so I would say because he's also had what he had the DUI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he had, well, and those the pres- uh, prescription pills. Yeah, and he comes across as. Let's just say I don't have a, uh, a super positive connotation about Ursay. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, he seems very relatable to fans. I mean, you talk about a guy that doesn't feel like he's heavily involved in like transactions and, and every move that's made. He lets his people do his thing, but he also relates to the fans, and he's kind of hands-on. He's giving away tickets on Twitter, and he's talking to fans on Twitter. and So there's like this interesting dynamic with Ursay. Well, but overall, I would say if you had to characterize him one way or another, I'd say he's probably kind of like... He's he probably not the greatest guy in the world, like I would say. I, I don't know him, but I'm just going to say that. Uh, I know this. He's super. He's super paranoid guy because when there was Peyton Manning's team and they were playing, the, like the opposing media, they would have a security guard. Like when we were down on the field, they would have a security guard that was assigned to us. Like if I went to the bathroom, the security guard came with us. You better believe That's it. That's how paranoid they were in Indianapolis. Better believe it. Do your due diligence. Okay. Pump but I that s- crowd noise. But this is interesting, and I don't know if it even matters. The if you look at Tony Dungy, if you look at Jim Caldwell, if you look at Frank Reich now, who am I missing? Who's the defensive coordinator now with Chicago? Had cancer. Um, in Chicago, I can't. Oh, uh, I, I um, ah, uh, Chuck Pagano. Pagano, Oof. thank you, yeah. thank you, very good. good. Yeah, uh, beat the deadline. It's a rough one. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give you those four guys, right? Dungy, Caldwell, Pagano, and now Reich. Okay. Isn't it wild that if you ask people, I think though, I think most people would be like, those are the four nicest people on the planet. Yeah, very, very stand-up individuals, I would say. Is there anything there? Is there anything to hiring that kind of guy to lead your organization? And even though what's interesting is you don't get that feel from the owner necessarily, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So is that to kind of offset that owner, or is that just who he thinks needs to be a leader of their football team and program? <sighs> and by the way, I think some of the things that – I, I don't necessarily agree with Polian on that front. I think maybe that, like a Dungy, could offset the Ursay Polian, and then you bring in this super genuine, salt of the earth, A list guy yeah. in Dungy. But I think now, like their GM Ballard is supposed to be a really good guy, and I mean, we don't hear anything negative about him, and I think he's one of those. But but isn't it interesting that Indianapolis has kind of aligned their coaches over the last twenty something years? And if I had to characterize those guys, and be like, those guys are Damn good men. You know what? I absolutely understand what you're saying, but I want to come at it from a different angle. So you just brought up four great examples of guys who are very well-spoken 
um, in the media, right? I mean, obviously we see Tony Dungy on TV all the time. Sometimes he offers a, a little pull behind the curtain. Sometimes he offers inspiration, but he's good at what he does. I think is he with NBC, Brent, or what is? Uh, he's an NBC guy. NBC yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. And then obviously with, with Chuck Pagano, um, you know, he's eloquent, well spoken. Not so much. I mean, not so much like I think he wanted to be. I think the fact that he was kind of cast in that role after all that he's been through, right? Like people wanted to talk to him, people wanted to hear his story, and he shared it. So like that's how we know Chuck. Pagano. Now, now Frank Reich is a little different to me, just because I don't know um, a lot about him. I haven't seen a lot of interviews with him, so I'm kind of just, you know, putting him in the group. And then, obviously, with Caldwell, I mean, we know what he's about as well. A pretty well-spoken individual. The point that I'm trying to make is, is that I think that there's a lot of great spoken individuals out there. I think they're a little more rare in terms of the NFL. Now, when I say well-spoken and, and eloquent, there's two types of of, uh, of categories here, right? There's when you cross the white lines on a football field, and then there's when you come off that football field and you get in front of a podium, uh, and it's your demeanor, if you will, right? And the point that I'm trying to make here is that when you cross those white lines – those, it seems like well-mannered individuals, those well-spoken, eloquent, seems like salt those kind of guys, when, when they cross the white lines, they have a job to do. And that job sometimes entails yelling at people, maybe chewing somebody out, like... I, I've never really met a coach. Maybe Tony Dungy's an exception, yeah. but like, but, but like, even Andy Reid would be—he comes across obviously as a as a salt alert kind of guy, right? A laid-back guy. But I've seen Andy Reid laying to people before, right? Like worse than I've ever seen other coaches do it. So I think it's the fact that every coach, when he's on the field, he's going to get the most out of his players. And if that includes chewing you out, then so be it. He's going to chew you out. Now, some might use different kind of verbiage, let's just say. And if you've been <laughs> to a Jaguars training camp, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, it's the ones that are eloquent in the press conferences that, that come across as the good dudes that we put on a higher pedestal and say, oh, I'm sure they're a great guy on the field as well. And I'm here to tell you, they might be a great guy, but don't get it twisted. They're still yelling. They're still, they're, they're still chewing people out. Yeah, I, and I agree with that, too. I, I think one of the misnomers around here is, like, I, I, I laugh at it because it's like Gus Bradley was such a nice guy that he never held anybody accountable. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the funny narrative yeah. where, like, I've heard, like, stories of Gus Bradley laying into people I'm and get, finding the heck out of people. Like, so, how much money they find people in a year. And now it might not be on a Coughlin level, yeah. but it was significant. And so it's just like, you're right about that persona. It's like, nice guy, so he must be always nice. No, I think Frank Wright could be a bulldog when he needs to be a bulldog. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not it. I just feel like, though, it's interesting, Austin, that in Indianapolis, and maybe there's more examples of this, but I think Indianapolis, Indianapolis over four different hires now has had a guy that, from a perception standpoint, again, I don't know these people, yeah. but I would say if you ask ten people on the street, nine of them would say, damn good man, damn good man. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's important, but it seems like it's important to Ursay in the hiring process. <laughs> yeah, so so listen, man, that just reminded me of a really great Gus Bradley story that kind of pertains to what we're talking about right now. And I don't think I'm really, like, you know, peeling back the curtain too much where I shouldn't be saying this, but it, it, it's a great story, and it's a great example. 
Brent, from the outside looking in, you'd say Gus Bradley, like like we said, salt of the earth guy, would give you the shirt off his back. Um, you know, just an all around great dude. You definitely want to have a beer with him. Would you agree to all those things? No doubt, without a doubt. And I remember the first time that I met Gus Bradley, that he came to talk to our team, and he gave this eloquent speech. Man, like I was fired up. I was ready to run through a wall. Almost like this is the guy. Like we're gonna be something special. Now I was cut a couple weeks later, but that's either neither here nor there. But with that being said, like I had the preconceived notion of Gus Bradley, even after one meeting, seeing his energy, the way that he talked to us, I'm going to be like, this is going to be like, kind of like a, like, a, like a kumbaya thing, like, we could be doing trust falls, like, who knows what's going to happen, but like, <laughs> this is a good thing, you know, coming from coming from Mike Malarkey and Jack Del Rio, who are a little more old school, I'm like, this might be a little cushy, this is going to be good stuff. Alright, so let's go ahead and fast forward a week later, right, because that was during like, kind of like the OT, that was kind of like during like the, the preseason part, not everyone's at the stadium quite yet. So now we're starting the OTAs. Um, we're starting to ramp things up a little bit. The very first day of like that practice, our very first meeting, we're all geared, ready to go. Gus Bradley comes in. And the first thing he does, and I can't even remember for the life of me who the guy was, right? He, he might have been a practice squad guy, whoever the guy was. He goes, hey, man, I was reading your story. You got to stand up in front of this team, and you got to tell them your story. And I'm like, all right. So the, the, the guy stands up, you know, and he, he's a first-year guy, rookie, a little nervous, and he starts to go on about his story, about how when he was growing up, you know, he's in a rough part of the neighborhood and things like that. Um, dad wasn't there, you know, had a house of like six or seven people and like one apartment. It's just, you know, his inspirational story. So this guy, so this player, this rookie, is spilling his soul to the entire team, and as he's talking, Gus Bradley stands up and goes, ah. Nobody cares about your sob story. Sit down. We got games to win. And, like, he said that, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Like, Who is this the, guy? Yeah, the, the, this dude's burying his soul. Now, all of a sudden, what, what? We're not doing kumbaya? We're not doing trust balls anymore? And then it dawned on me, like, listen, you can be a great guy, and, and, and you can have fun, and you can have the, all this energy, but at the end of the day, we all have jobs to do. And I thought it was an interesting strategy by Gus Bradley because he, he kept reiterating this, and it might have been one of the themes of the entire season, is that nobody cares about your sob story. Nobody cares exactly how you feel right now if you're not playing a lot, like earn your playing time. Nobody cares about where you came from. Guess what? We're all in the same spot right now. So let's focus on today. And it, it was it was an interesting way to get that point across, but it's an example of, listen, I thought I knew who this coach was, and all of a sudden he stands up while this kid's bearing a soul and goes, no one wants to hear your sob story i was like okay game on let's go yeah that's a great story i'd never heard that and and if you had put five coaches on a wall and say attach this story to that coach gus bradley would be the last one. you never would imagine it would right be the last one it's insane and, and so you know i've always been interested i thought the great dynamic here and i've, I've said this to him many times um and, and i don't even know if i eloquently say it the right way but it stands out to me is tom coughlin is a very good man very Absolutely. good man. Absolutely. Uh, good heart. Obviously, what he's done with the J Fund. But beyond that, I think a good good man. But he is a you-know-what Yeah. when he's in that building. Mm-hmm. He's a you-know-what when he's demanding excellence, when he's on that field, all that stuff. And that's the guy that we think we know, right? Yeah, absolutely. That guy with the scowl on his face and we're going to win lunch and get here in OTAs. I don't care if they're off. <laughs> Or not. But that's the guy that we all associate with Tom Coughlin. So, but now that we know him a little bit more in the community, all that stuff, yeah, that might be that guy, but he's also this guy. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's a it's a fascinating look. And so when I came across it, I'm looking at all who has hired who most recently, looking at the division, looking at all this stuff, and it was just striking to me when somebody because Jim Caldwell was doing some work on him, and then also Tony Dungy's name came up, and I was like, "Wow, wait a minute, that's Indy, that's Indy." And I and I remember uh, Pagano, and 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 I think things change. I don't know if things were different in terms of the way we perceive Pagano because of the cancer, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just don't know. I, but I believe he's always been viewed as a, a really good dude. And Frank Reich is that, by the way. I mean, Frank Reich is supposedly that guy. Like, there's a reason why like Nick Foles' favorite guy is Frank Reich. You mm-hmm. know. I mean, just good, good man. And so it, I, I'm probably over-dramatizing this. I just found it interesting. And I'm not saying we've had bad men here in Jacksonville. I'm not even implying that. I'm not trying to slander anybody. What I'm, What's interesting is, let's just say, let's look at the pool of candidates the Jaguars could go to. You could go to Marvin Lewis or Jim Caldwell or um, we don't really know Smith and Dable, but Sala, who I think is – good foundational guy, even though mm-hmm. he can be intense. And those are what we would qualify or, or quantify as those are good men. Sure. Then we're going to now talk about, and what we have talked about, is a guy like Urban Meyer, and we're going to say, oh, that guy's a son of a... <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, without and, a doubt. And, and so that's... Isn't that interesting? And I don't know what the heck it means. It's the way we look at Bill Belichick, right? Until we saw him in that NFL Network special when he's on his boat just hanging out. It's it's what we think about Nick Saban. Until Saban, that we see Saban, the guy like in a meeting today, was like, the only thing I remember from that game the other day is Saban at halftime. And he's like, this thing doesn't work. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, doesn't yeah. work. You yeah. know? Well, well, we also have seen Saban like on the ESPN set where he's not playing and he's got a ton of personality. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know what, Brent? I think if we were to put a whole ball on this conversation, we can ask ourselves, like, what did we learn from, you know, the story of Gus Bradley? What did we learn uh, from talking about some of these, you know, old Colts coaches? It's the fact that, listen, you can be a great guy off the field. You can say all the right things in the press conference. Heck, you can even go on Twitter and social media and be super entertaining. But what it comes down to, more importantly than anything, is what type of guy are you? What type of coach are you when you cross the white lines? You you give me the right guy that can cross the white lines and get the most out of his players, and I'll take everything else that comes with him. Yeah, uh, the search uh, continues. What uh, kind of man, what kind of coach will they get in Jacksonville? And here's the answer. A winning one is hey, what's needed. Hey, all I'm going to say is the next time you talk to Gus Bradley, tell him that nobody cares about a sob story. <laughs> I will. All right, By the way, man. Gus uh, seems to be a favorite with uh, John Gruden and, and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders yeah, yeah. as a defensive coordinator. Guy's a good defensive coordinator. Obviously, didn't work out as the head coach. I don't know if he'll get another opportunity down the line. Uh, but he, he, I tell you what, people scoop him up in a hurry yeah. when his name's available as a defensive coordinator. Well, and we'll I'll tell back. you what, I'm gonna start using that with my son a little more too. My son gets upset. No one cares about your sob story. Pick I like up your toys and let's go to bed. Let's I, yeah, go. Let's, I love it. Yeah, I love let's get it. it. All right, we'll be back on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six nine. Austin Lane. And I'm going to regurgitate it to you. I'm like a mother bird right now, and I'm spewing it in your mouth. Brent Martineau. You got doves flying and mother birds I'm, all week. I'm, I mean. I'm trying to baby bird you right now, man. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, this is why I tease stuff and don't get to it. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members of the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, 
We will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. So that is Joe Judge, New York Giants head coach. I don't think we talked about this a lot yesterday. We talked about it briefly. But this is still a story some days later now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of... uh, (laughs) This kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. See, I think the NFL is made up of a lot of manufactured things at times. (laughs) I don't... I think you got to be really careful throwing around the word genuine. Mm -hmm. These guys are smart. You know, uh, not that much different at times than a wrestler given his mic skills. Let's just say that. (laughs) And, like, is Joe Judge for the New York Giants saying what he said? Because his words, if you listen to everything, he said the buy-in that these people had to make, these these players – yeah. This year, with their families and with COVID and everything else, it's a it's a disservice to them to not go out and try to win every game every time for sixty minutes. And I can't argue with that. I mean, I think he's absolutely right. But is he saying this because well he missed out on the playoffs because of that? Is he saying this because it's a rival Philadelphia Eagles and he's going to turn that knife as much as possible because Peterson's feeling it right now? Is he is he saying this to? I think somebody said, I think it was Rich Eisen said, he basically said it's a message maybe to the to Eagles players who want to come, who might be free agents at some point, or, you know, to come play with us and, and the New York Giants. Yeah. Is it a message like, hey, this is the way our organization works, you know? So I don't know how to consume what Joe Judge said. I think the bigger story here is because we can debate, have other people done this before? Was it really worth, like, tanking the second half for – Three draft spots, like I don't know. What uh, was was this? Is Peterson going to write a book someday that said, you know what, the stories of Alex Smith and Ron Rivera were so good, I wanted them to win the NFC East. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't know. I mean, give me any conspiracy theory. What I do think, though, is the most interesting part of this conversation is Eagles players and Doug Peterson. So much so that in that town, Austin. I would not be stunned, and I'm not necessarily predicting this, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be stunned that although Peterson is back and has been given that, I think the the reports were a vote of confidence even before that game, to come back, that if this stuff gets so toxic with players internally that the Eagles make a move sometime in the next couple of weeks on Peterson. Yeah, so listen, first of all, with Judge's comments, this is classic gamesmanship coming from Joe Judge right now. Because you could say that the Eagles screwed the Giants over by letting the Giants go to the play, by not letting the Giants go to the playoffs, right? Because you tanked essentially. Now, I don't care about that. You know how I feel about it. If you win six games in a season, you don't deserve to go to the playoffs. If you win six games and you're hoping that you're at the mercy of somebody else to help you out to get you in the playoffs, nah, not in my opinion. I don't care. But with that being said, and we talked about this yesterday a little bit, and I alluded to this point. And we're on the same page right now. That locker room, there is going to be problems, right? Because the last thing that an NFL player wants to feel like is a, a pawn, okay? They're, they're grown-ass men who have egos, who have pride. And keep this in mind. The importance of winning has been ingrained in them since they were in Pop Warner. Winning over everything. And then you're Doug Peterson, and you come out there and say, hey, Jalen Hurts, go ahead and grab some bench. 
Let's put Sudfeld in and let's go out there and do that. Right? Like, this is only just beginning. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. We talked about Jason Kelsey yesterday, said the importance of winning over tanking for that draft pick, the importance of culture and all that stuff. I'm here to tell you right now, and I know Miles Sanders had some comments today. I guarantee there will be more coming. But this thing is going to fester, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I honestly don't know if Doug Peterson is going to be able to overcome what he's about to face in that locker room. Yeah, and I think if if you're Philly, because things get messy and hurry in Philly now, and they're already a mess. They don't know what the heck's going on with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. They've, they're on the books for Carson Wentz. Is anybody going to take him if you trade him? Um, are you going to play him? And now this, which is even bigger because if you don't have the confidence of your coach or you're ticked off of your coach. And I said it yesterday, we talked about this, like, a guy like Malik Jackson, if, and I don't know how he feels about this current situation, but I know Malik Jackson's personality. I've been around Malik Jackson enough where if he does take offense to that, like, he's not going to be afraid to share it. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, there's probably a lot of guys in Philly like that. So, uh, and, and by the way, when, when Philly went to Hertz, it wasn't 100% received in the locker room. A lot of Carson Wentz fans and believers in that locker room that even went to Hertz. So, and and then of course Wentz wasn't even dressed uh, in in this game to play Sudfeld. So the whole thing is, I just say Philly better make a move sooner or later because they're going to get way behind in this kind of cycle. Uh, if 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 they don't do something, they got to figure it out and they got to figure it out fast. But I just would not be surprised, like. This reminds me of, and, and without all the circumstance, but you remember it was just a few weeks ago, Tom Herman was safe at Texas, and then last week he's gone. It, just because you've been said, it's been said that you're safe doesn't mean you're going to be there. And uh, this could get too messy for Doug Peterson in Philly. Yeah, I just don't understand if you're Doug Peterson, how do you come back from this? Because how do you look every one of your players in the eye um you know, during a new season when everybody comes back, you know, that first practice of OTAs or whatever and said, hey, guys, we got a great team. We're going to win. Like, how do you even put winning in a category anymore when you had guys, you know, this year for the last game of the season who have sacrificed their bodies, their health, um, their, their social lives, their family lives in order to play the game of football and try to win and, you know, obviously get the support of the city. How do you look those guys in the eyes after that and just say, hey, guys, it's a new season, let's go? Like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, honestly, I don't know how to come back from it. And it's crazy because you're a couple years removed from a Super Bowl, right? Like, there was a point a couple years ago where you were the talk of the town, where, like, nobody could touch you, right? Where you're writing books, talking smack uh, about Doug Marone, do whatever you want to do. Like, everybody thought you were the future. And now the next a couple years later – it's not. We're not talking about how bad the team was this year with injuries and stuff like that. We're talking about one decision that you made in the last game of the season. Let's that, that, let's be honest. For the Eagles, didn't even matter. Not good. I got something we haven't talked about a lot. And now that the Jags are in a coaching hire, and six other teams are for a head coach, and seven teams in all for a GM, the Rooney Rule is talked about on a daily and almost hourly basis. And the Rooney Rule, for if folks don't know, uh, teams have to interview a person of color minority for uh, their vacancies and and now it's two for the head co- two interviews for the head coaching positions um, in the process and the idea is to get more minorities mm-hmm. into coaching and head coaching and because if you look at the numbers the numbers 
are just off. It's a white man's world when it comes to a lot of front office positions, obviously ownership, and certainly uh, head coaches. So the Rooney Rule is in place for that, and it goes back now some couple of decades. I believe it's old now. And it's been adjusted, and there's talk this year that would even adjust more and reward teams for hiring a minority coach. I guess the simple question is this, because the Jags are in the middle of this. There's all this Urban Meyer talk, first of all, and so that's even brought up people saying, well, don't they have to abide by the Rooney Rule, and are these just, if they really do want Urban Meyer, uh, are they even interested in guys that they're mm-hmm. interviewing, like Eric Bieniemy, and and because he's a black man, are they just interviewing him because of that? Uh, goes to the GM searches as well. I. It's an interesting topic to navigate. I guess simply, Austin, I've never really had your take on this because on the show here in Jacksonville, they haven't been hiring mm-hmm. until now. But is it working? Do they need to do more to get minority coaches in the game in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, essentially, to paraphrase, you're asking me, how do I feel about the Rooney Rule? You know, it's to me, Brent, it's like a double-edged sword. It's like a catch-22. Because a part of me wants to say, well, I like it because, listen, this gives black coaches a chance, right? Like this this gives more minority coaches a chance to succeed in the NFL, right? It, it almost it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. So that's one side of me. And then the other side wants to go, well, what the hell are we talking about? We're, we're talking about the game of football where it's supposed to be about wins and losses over everything else. And we're talking about coaches out there of any ethnicity that are probably more qualified than some of the white coaches right now. So, like, how how are we even in 2020, right, 2021, excuse me, and we're talking about this rule still? Like, it, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't even be having this discussion. It should be the best possible candidate should get the job, right? And I think there's a lot of black coaches out there that are some best possible candidates, but that's not where we're at right now. Like, we, we've progressed a long way as a society, and I get it. We're making progress, yada, yada, yada. But, like, when this Rooney rule comes into place, I feel like the progress isn't justified quite yet. Now, once again, I go back to the other side. It's all we got right now, okay? And, and it's going to give more coaches an opportunity that are minorities, then so be it. Like, if this is the best we honestly can do right now in 2021, then it is what it is. Is it perfect? Not even close. But it's really all we got right now. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to be here in Jacksonville because you have a minority owner. Yeah. So, like, to me, while I understand there's criticism sometimes of, are you just doing this because you're just hire- you're just checking a box, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the process? And while I do think that probably, unfortunately, has been the case in the past, I just, as it equates to Jacksonville, have a hard time believing that's the case with a minority owner, you know. Well, um, yeah, so no, without I, a doubt. But- I, I, I just, I would, I really have, I, I think the Jags organization should be immune to that kind of conversation, basically because you have a minority owner. But I also think, like, Shot Khan even said it yesterday. He, he's aware of it. He He wants to put minorities in a position to be successful mm-hmm. he's a big believer in giving minorities opportunities uh and, and that shouldn't have come as a surprise but he his task is to get the best person for the job that he thinks is going to win and win big in jacksonville that doesn't matter what color you are what 
uh, gender you are, whatever, he's got to find the right person. You know? no, no, without a doubt, Brian, you're absolutely right, and that's the way that it should always be for every single team in the NFL. And, you know, you alluded to this as well, where, and I want to make sure I'm correct when I say this, but if a team was to hire a minority coach in some capacity, then they could get rewarded, right? Like, is it compensation and draft, or how does that work? Yeah, it was, I forget the exact criteria, but it was something to do with draft picks and maybe an added, like, uh, uh, what are they, compensatory picks? See, and, and to me, like, I understand, once again, you're trying to get the incentive a little more, but that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Because now we're saying, hey, man, if you, you take a black coach over there, there's something in it for you. That, that, that's not how we should be thinking about it. Like, I don't mind the Rooney rule right now, because it's literally all you have, and it's better than nothing. But then don't, like, have the compensation where it's like, well, if you take this guy, we'll make it worth your while. That's that's not how I think our society should be working. Yeah, I agree. And, and listen, I, I think the key to having more minority head coaches is to have more minority assistant coaches. Yes. And the root of the problem, because that's where you get your training ground, white, black, it doesn't matter. That's where the training ground comes in, and that's where you get your experience to become a next head coach and take a next step. But I think the problem is really more about what you've said in the past, Austin. It's this is sometimes a friend's business. Yeah. Right? Yep, absolutely. And even now, if you read stuff, if you read stuff now on who's going to be the GM and the head coach, and not just in Jacksonville, but other places, like, well, he worked with him here. He went to college with him here. He played with him here. Well, it's like, I understand familiarity, but let's get the best guys for the job. And this is one of the, the things that I cannot stand about the National Football League. Because the most important thing is supposed to be about wins and losses. But the greatest contradiction is is that sometimes friendships and staying in your comfort zone trump the wins and losses. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, uh, and it's, it, it's not fixed, that's for sure. Uh, and we could get two minorities into the head coaching ranks in this cycle with, uh, at least, at least, by the way, but two hot names, Robert Sala and uh, Eric Bieniemy, of course. And it will be a damn shame if Eric Bieniemy doesn't get a head coaching job with six available. Mm-hmm. No doubt. He so uh, yep. we'll see what happens. Uh, more to come. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. And I do have uh, a question that's very important, at least in my house, that I need answered. <laughs> it's on the way. It was a very painful moment in there, hugging both of them and uh, just telling them how much I love them, how much I appreciate them. And both those guys just laid it on the line tonight. I mean, they absolutely laid it on the line, not just tonight, but, you know, their whole careers. And it's just been an unbelievable journey. I'm just so thankful that I got a chance to coach those guys and be a part of their journey. You know, both of them have such bright futures and, and a lot of football ahead. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is, is I mean, he's a generational guy. He's going to be a great player for a long, long time, and so is Travis Etienne. And, and just to know that, you know, the good Lord blessed me to, to be a part of their journey, I'm just thankful for that. That is Dabo Swinney, Clemson head coach. You know, there really hasn't been a lot of Clemson guys in the Jags locker room. Yeah. Olivia Tassley did this because we were asking that question, and so she went back and looked, and I think Andre Branch. Oh, yeah. Yep. Windmill. Windmill. <laughs> yes, Windmill. And uh, uh, who else did she just say? Oh, Tyler Shatley. Ah, okay. Currently there. Sure. Uh, and there also hasn't been a lot of 16s 
in Jags history. The most famous one, probably the offensive weapon, Denard Robinson. Ah, Mr. Jack of all trades. You know, it's an interesting soundbite there from Dabo. You know, he's you know sharing his support and everything, and wishing his players the best luck. Um, you know, on their next journey here. When he said that he hugged, you know them. Do you think he hugged the defenders at all, or just kind of left them to their own devices? <laughs> Probably just left them to their own devices, right? Just kind of uh, turned like, yeah, I'll see you guys next year. <laughs> we got some uh, work to do. Yeah, we got some work to do. I, I will. Here's what's crossed my mind, and I hope we get the chance at some point to interview Dabble Swinney about Trevor Lawrence. And I, I'm already put the request in, folks. But let's we'll go. See. Um. And I don't know if that will come, or, or somebody maybe will ask this question. Probably, maybe they've already asked this question. I just haven't heard the answer. But my question about Dabo is he was right on and so adamant about the Sean Watson. And Watson had a lot of these holes in his games as he's coming out. And they're like, eh, I don't know. I'll be honest. I wasn't a huge Watson. I was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I watched him play in the national title game. It was sensational, but I don't know. And well, he was right about Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Right? He mm-hmm. knew that kid. He knew what he was all about. And he knows this guy, too. And so I'm interested. He just said generational guy. I don't think he said that about Watson. So I'm interested to see what he says about Watson in relation to Trevor Lawrence. Because here's a lesson we might have learned. We might want to believe Dabo. <laughs> no, without a doubt. And that's going to be, I mean, hopefully we can get that interview. But it would be interesting to ask him, like, hey, so, like, take us through your thoughts about Watson when he was first coming up and, and how you knew and how did those thoughts compare uh, to Trevor Lawrence, you know? Hey, I have a selfish question. Uh, been playing a lot of Ms. Pac-Man. <laughs> a lot. Like, like a lot. Okay. And so I'm a boards guy. Like, I go try to get the next board, the next board, the next board in advance. And I'm like, 13 boards is my record right now. Yeah, yeah. So I've made it to their fourth maze mm. and like four of them in. Mm-hmm. But then the kids are like, no, I'm playing for points. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I kick them not out of the kids I like that but so i'm like all right fine i'll play for points well now i'm up to like seventy five thousand. yep and so i don't know like do you play for points or for boards because i was always like a boards guy it's, it's a great question and i love the way you're talking video games right now to me brent it's good to have you on team video games it's simple brent and this may not apply to your household but if you're playing miss pac-man in a pizzeria or in an arcade the more points you get, what happens? The higher your name is on the end of the game in terms of the rankings. That's a good point. And at the end of the day, the rankings are all that matters because you have the bragging rights. So I'm team points all day, every day. That's a good point. That's a good point. Did, did right. you have that? Do you have the ability to like put your name in and say where you are in the standings? So. No. And I wish you could pause you that game. You can't pause it. I want to pause it. No, there's no pausing all arcade right. games. Come hey, on. live local loud coming up next on ESPN 690. Trevor Lawrence and the Heisman Trophy on ESPN 690 <laughs> in just a bit. Have a good night. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.